Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us here today on the program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Got a great show lined up for you here. Coming up, we are going to talk markets with Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. It's been a little while since Matt's been on AOA with us, and I know uh, him and I have been chatting. we got some great things to talk about, try to put some perspective on the current market environment that um, some folks not too happy with looking at some of these current commodity prices. So we're going to talk about things with Matt coming up here in segment two today. In segment three, looking forward to a conversation with John Halsman, geopolitical author and commentator. He's going to give us some updates, uh, his perspective on what is happening around the world. So looking forward to that conversation in segment three today. And then we're going to wrap the show. We're going to talk with Dr. Kelly Turner, Executive Director of the Michigan Potato Industry Commission, and Phil Guzmano, Vice President of Purchasing of Detroit-based Bettermade Snack Foods, about a new report out from the Michigan Potato Industry Commission. So looking forward to talking potatoes coming up here at the end of the show. We want to kick things off, though, another important topic here uh, in the world of agriculture and rural America is mental health. And joining us now for a conversation, he is the founder and chairman of Rural Minds. Jeff Winton is with us here on AOA. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Hope you're doing well today. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Jesse. Well, just for starters, tell us more about Rural Minds and, and what you guys do as an organization, Jeff. Rural Minds is a two-year-old not-for-profit organization that was founded because of a family tragedy in my farming family. I'm from a long line of dairy farmers in upstate New York on Lake Erie, where I'm currently talking to you from, from our dairy farm. I just got done doing farm tours, as a matter of fact. And uh, my 28-year-old nephew who worked here on the farm was suffering in silence due to various forms of mental illness and substance use disorder. And our family did not realize what had happened until he took his life and it was too late. And it was a real wake-up call for us that something needed to be done to address this growing epidemic in rural America as it relates to mental illness and substance use disorder. Uh, 46 million people in the United States live in rural America. That's a huge portion of our population. And when my nephew died, it became very apparent that not enough was being done to address this. And hence the reason we launched Rural Minds. Well, uh, you know, thinking about that story and looking at the current state of you know, mental health services and, and the various issues that we are seeing, especially in rural areas, what are your thoughts, Jeff, uh, on how things are right now, you know, early part of 2024? Where do things stand in rural America right now? Well, we still have a growing situation. There's no doubt about it. And even though there are glimmers of hope, the fact remains every 11 minutes, someone dies by suicide in the country. There was an article in the New York Times just yesterday talking about suicide and how in most other developing countries, the rate is decreasing. In the United States, it's increasing. And it's increasing even more exponentially in rural America. The fact remains 64 to 66% of rural Americans are more likely to die by suicide than people that live in urban areas. So it's a race against time. Part of it is the stigma that exists uh, in any type of uh, population, including urban and suburban areas. But mental illness is still highly stigmatized in farming communities, fishing villages, mining communities, in rural areas. It's not necessarily considered an illness, which it's every much of an illness like cardiovascular disease and cancer, but it's all too often considered a character flaw or a weakness that we should be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get over. If you have mm -hmm. cancer, you can't do that. Certainly if you have depression or alcohol use disorder, you can't just snap your fingers and feel better either. So we're trying to not only get people to start talking about it more, to put a human face on this. And that's why I always tell, the story about my nephew and 
what my family has gone through the past few years. But it's also important to then help people that finally raise their hand and say, hey, I need help. Help them connect with where the resources are, because many times they don't exist in farming communities. You may have to travel a distance or may have to do telehealth, but there isn't always immediate help when someone needs it. So we're we're right now focused very much on access to care. Well, and I think, too, sometimes, uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but maybe there's that stereotype, especially on the farm and ranch, that a lot of folks sometimes they, they don't want to you know reach out if they're having stress or suicidal thoughts or things like that. Farmers and ranchers are, are proud people, and you know sometimes they just think they can push through it. I mean, it feels like sometimes that stereotype is, is kind of out there in rural America, isn't it, Jeff? It, it's very much out there, and I know that was the case with my nephew. He was a big strapping 28-year-old with three-year-old twins at the time he died. And he was suffering in silence. And it was in his mind at that point in time, a better alternative to end his life and leave the family he greatly loved than it was to admit that he had this issue. So Mm -hmm. again, we're proud, very independent people. Those of us who grow up in rural areas, especially on farms, And it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to ask for any kind of help. Even if your tractor or combine breaks down, you try to fix it and try to, you know, toggle things together. Um, So we are working right now with the National Grange, who I know many of your listeners will be familiar with, with a program we just launched in November called the National Rural Mental Health Resilience Program. And what this is, is basically a toolkit or a do-it-yourself program so that people in communities and small towns can have these kinds of conversations. The -hmm. materials can be found on our website, which is ruralminds.org. And the materials are all free. They're all downloadable. It makes it very easy for 4-H groups, church groups, Farm Bureau groups, cooperative extension, whatever uh, type of organization you may be part of, to have a community conversation on mental illness and why this is so important that we begin talking about it and get it out in the mainstream. Jeff, you mentioned the website. We have about uh, 45 seconds here real quick. I'm sure, again, folks can go there to uh, learn more and and help get involved and help out uh, in rural America, can't they? Yeah, thank you very much, Jesse. And I look forward to continuing our conversation and uh, look forward to meeting a number of your listeners. We'll be at the Commodity Classic at the yeah. American Soybean Association booth next week, as a matter of fact. Fantastic. Well, we will be there as well. And again, that website, ruralminds.org. Folks can learn more there and find out how they can help uh, with uh, mental health issues, uh, folks who may be experiencing them in rural America. Jeff Winton with Rural Minds. Jeff, thank you again for joining us on the show today. Really appreciate the time, and we will look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much, Jesse. Take care. All right, All right. Jeff Winton there with Rural Minds. Coming up next, we're going to talk markets with Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. What is going on with this commodity market trade? We're going to get some perspective on that all the way next here on AOA Agriculture of America. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870 you'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. 
The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love the V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. All right, let's talk markets. What is happening uh, throughout this grain and livestock trade? Joining us now, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net here on AOA. Matt, it's good to talk with you again, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, you know, for both of us, I know we've been traveling quite a bit. And uh, I know uh, you were traveling around the uh, the countryside here last week as well. And um really uh spending some time at the farm machinery show and more so happy to uh get you in the office and get you back on the show with us here today and uh oh looks like we actually might have lost matt here real quick so we're going to get him reconnected there he is we got him back with us and i was just saying matt i know you've been traveling quite a bit i have too uh so you know i guess it's nice for both of us to be back in the office for a couple of days here right yeah absolutely i tell you what the last few weeks have been uh non-stop you know and then of course next week we've got commodity classic uh got a few folks wanting to do things there in march uh it's just that time of year and i would say the request to do meetings this year is maybe as great as i've experienced for a while and uh you know i think that a lot of that of course has to do with what's going on with the markets um mm -hmm. you know whenever times are good uh, people like going to meetings they enjoy you know, that camaraderie and the fellowship that they get to have. But I think uh, the need, if you will, for help this year is maybe a, a stronger influence than, you know, going to a, a meeting and uh, shooting the bull with your friends. So, you know, there's no question that this has uh, been a very busy, very busy winter. And I think there's a lot of concern amongst farm country and uh, it's for good reason. Well, and I know, too, with you traveling around a lot of those meetings, fielding a lot of tough questions here. I mean, you know, look at corn, for instance, more new contract lows here this week. Uh, these markets just got you and I've been talking about this. We, we had a sidebar at the Farm Machinery Show about this. I mean, these grains, just the bearish weight, the boat, everyone seems like they're leaning to one side of this boat right now, Matt. And it's just a uh, it's a tough market to look at. And I'm sure. It's not an easy conversation for you to have with uh, with farmers uh, across the country right now, is it? No, no, it's it's a tough conversation. You know, we uh, we've tried to stay real consistent in our marketing over the last uh, uh, several years. I mean, I've always been a big uh, lock in, you know, good uh, net uh, margins based upon your break evens, uh, that kind of talk, and that's come in real handy, Jesse. Um, and I don't want a Monday morning quarterback, but that's come in real handy on a year like this and a year like last year. 
when we had such a wide uh, gap in fertilizer prices versus, you know, uh, the way that the corn market held together after buying that, you know, fertilizer. Um, if mm -hmm. a person stays consistent, you know, and, you know, maybe sells a little bit of corn whenever they're paying a lot of money for fertilizer certainly is a good thing for them. Um, one thing that I've tried to share this winter out on the speaking circuit is, you know, for the 23 crop, a lot of people paid record fertilizer uh, prices. And, uh, you know, one thing I can uh, assure you of is when you pay uh, multi-year highs for fertilizer, you know, the price of corn is high at the time. And so, uh, you know, it's a, a good practice to step in and maybe figure out, Hey, how many bushels does it take to get this fertilizer paid for? So, you know, uh, again, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback, but I think sometimes we can do ourselves a lot of favors by trying to remove, you know, the guessing game out of, uh, marketing, trying to figure out what do we need to do to be able to make money here? Uh, what is, uh, how much money would we make selling today, for instance? And, you know, right now it's probably not a fun time to talk about that because I think mm -hmm. the average producer, if they sold out of their cash corn right now and they were sitting on a lot of their 23 crop, I think it's pretty clear that that's, uh, you know, probably not someone that's going to turn a profit on that operation for the 23 crop, you know, and so 24 is a, a big challenge as well. And so, uh, you know, we've got to be a little more proactive, in my opinion, look for opportunities in the market, uh, you know, to lock in what I would say is worst case scenario, but leave upside open in the event, you know, you get some sort of a drought situation or something developed. Well, I know we saw a little short covering rally coming out of the holiday weekend on Tuesday, but then that was quickly sold. I, I mean, I'd have to think some of these short covering rallies we could see here in the market are some of those opportunities uh, you're maybe alluding to. But I also wonder, too, I mean, what could it take to get a, a broader rebound in this market? You know, in, for instance, corn, do we have to put a three on the board? Beans, do we have to get below you know down to 11 i mean you know what realistically could it take to maybe drive a larger rally instead of some of these small short covering rallies matt yeah it's a great question you know my thought right now is that we would not take march under four dollars there's a variety of reasons for that obviously the funds have built up a pretty big uh, net short um, no question in my mind that uh, they can build that uh, position even more I just feel like this is a strange time of year to get that big of a short position built. Uh, typically, the funds don't want to be short, uh, you know, going into a growing season. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of unknowns. The fundamentals of the market, though, uh, give them plenty of ammo, if you will, to feel good about having that short position. I think that the general consensus is that even if we have an off crop, here in 2024, you'll still have plenty of stocks on hand. And so, you know, I think the funds, um, you know, they've been fairly aggressive in their selling uh, the last few weeks. Um, and, and so um, at this point, you've got to figure out if you're going to get a broader base rally, you've got to have something to kind of ignite, um, you know, a fire under these guys. And so, um, yeah, you've got what, probably 1.5 billion bushels or so. I mean, it's over 300,000 short right now that the funds are. And if they cover that short, that should give you a short covering rally. But the farmer owns way more corn than what the funds do are short. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with that being said, um, the farmer could reward the rally as it goes. I think there's a much higher probability that you see a board based rally uh well in excess of what the cash price is and so you know i think that the cash price will suffer as the as the market rallies just simply due to the fact that we've got this massive crop that really still needs to quote unquote go to town and so you know if you get a 30 cent rally or a 40 cent rally which would probably have to be based on south american weather uh some sort of event that i guess we don't know about yet obviously could do that whether it's a world event or you know something maybe make the price of crude oil skyrocket you know uh, if something like that happens i think a 30 cent rally on the board probably gets you maybe two-thirds you know on a cash price so I got to understand kind of how that works this year because I, there are things we can do if we want to keep our toe dipped in the water, uh, keep some long positions in there. We're talking with Matt Bennett from agmarket.net here on AOA. Matt, can uh, can the wheat markets maybe be a, a broader catalyst to help pull us out of the doldrums here a little bit? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, we talked about that earlier this week, you and I did. And, you know, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, there are times in the past that we've seen corn, beans, and wheat just on the struggle bus, you know, can't get anything going. 
you know, and then all of a sudden you look in the wheat market, you know, rallies 20, 30, 40 cents over the course of a couple of weeks or a week, whatever it might be, you know, and then all of a sudden uh, corn quits going down, beans quit going down and, and you turn around and it seems like uh, wheat's leading the way higher. And so, you know, could something like that happen this year? Of course it could, you know, uh, to me, the whole disruption, uh, uh, with world wheat flows with Russia and Ukraine definitely seemed to bolster the market. You know, if we resume to normal activities some point in the near future, you know, uh, I've got to assume that actually that may not be negative, the market, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, Australia didn't have a great wheat crop. Uh, the U S is in a situation where spring wheat acres are likely to be lower you know, and then I don't know, maybe you just need a cold snap. I don't want anybody to lose their wheat. But, you know, if you got a real uh, strong bout of cold air as wheat comes out of dormancy, uh, that is something the market pays very close attention to. So, you know, if you could get the wheat market to kind of get uh, a fire lit under its hind parts, you know, something could happen here. I mean, you're nine cents off the highs today, but you're still up six cents. And so, you know, you look at uh, July wheat at 584, I think you get it back above six bucks, but you probably need to move, you know, 636, 4650 to where you really think that's going to support corn, for instance. And so, um, you know, I sure hope that that's something that we see. I think the verdict's still out, but I, I, uh, I certainly think that it's a possibility if wheat moves strongly higher, uh, it could pull corn and beans along with it. Matt, we got about a minute, a little more optimism over in the cattle markets, I'd say, right now. we got that cattle oh, yeah. feed report coming up on Friday. Your thoughts ahead of that report? Yeah, I've got to think there'll be some profit taking going into that report. It's basically thought of as something that should be very bullish. Uh, over the long haul, there's no doubt that you've got some bullish influence as far as cattle are concerned. But, you know, I think that um, it's been so strong lately, I've got a hard time believing it's just going to skyrocket right now. I think this calendar year, you could see new all-time highs and fats, uh, but I don't think that it happens right now. Well, Matt, I know folks, uh, again, kind of with your guys' theme, farm for profit, not price, manage your break-evens, things like that. I know they could find you guys at agmarket.net, check out all of your intel and reach out with questions can't they matt yeah absolutely it's a great place to go to get a hold of any of that information if anybody listening to commodity come uh, you know come out to the early riser next thursday morning 7 a.m we'll be there talking markets well looking forward to that matt bennett agmarket.net matt it's always good to talk with you thanks for joining us today appreciate it absolutely bud thank you all right coming up next here on aoa we're going to talk geopolitics around the world have a conversation with John Holzman. He joins the show next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. For AOA, I'm Lori Boyer. Here is a check of what's happening in the markets here on this Thursday, February 22nd. Well, after a market meltdown yesterday and some regains overnight, the market complex is actually experiencing some overall positivity. The USDA has reported a sale of 4.96 million bushels of Milo to China this morning. There are four vessels that are loading soybeans in Brazil that are destined for the U.S., and Russia claims to have shipped 200,000 metric tons of free grain to six African countries. Here's a fun fact. The final U.S. corn yield has been six bushels per acre below the USDA's Ag Outlook form, which was at 100. 100- 
which was at 181 bushels per acre the past five years. This would translate to significantly less production than the outlook form is projecting. And while Trade Talk is negative about the pending Environmental Protection Agency revisions to the carbon intensity scoring model that are expected to be released in early March, bulls have noted that Michael Regan, the head of EPA, and Tom Vilsack, the head of USDA, will make an appearance at Commodity Classic on March 1st, which is stirring hopes of a positive announcement. The minutes from the last Federal Reserve meeting have been released, and those minutes indicated that the Fed is more worried about cutting rates too quickly than they are about keeping rates high for too long. Today is the release of the weekly initial jobless claims report and existing home sales report. One other note, the weekly inspections data showed 918,610 metric tons of corn was exported during the week that ended February 15th. That was up from 890,000 metric tons a week prior and was 47% above the same week last year. Corn shipments read 18.12 million metric tons as of the 15th and accumulated milo exports are coming in at 3.31 million metric tons. On the livestock, future prices are higher as we look for improvement in packer interest. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Lori Boyer. We are the nation's largest integrated health care system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're Rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA today. Well, I always enjoy uh, conversations with our next guest here on the show. He is an author, geopolitical strategist. His new book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism, can be found available now on Amazon and more. Happy to have John Hallsman back with us here on AOA today. John, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Jesse, it's always good to be on the home channel. Well, we appreciate the time. And uh, I, I tell you what, I know you've been traveling quite a bit. It's been a, a little while since you and I have had a conversation and talked about what is going on with world politics and, and much, much more. And obviously, you know, I feel like uh, since the last time we talked, there's been plenty of developments, plenty of headlines, a lot of the same, though, in many parts of the world. I mean, between issues in the Middle East, issues in the Black Sea region, and more. Uh, so I guess, get us up to speed. Let's start. What's one of the biggest things you are really keeping a close watch on right now geopolitically, John? A bit of good news, which is that the United States is rather quietly gathering allies in the Indo-Pacific, which, Jess, as you know, I think is the key to the whole ball game. In the future, almost all the global growth will come from the Indo-Pacific, but also a lot of the world's political risk. And the United States is beginning to string together an alliance system, not because we're so clever, but because the Chinese have scared the horses under Xi Jinping, as we've talked about. And you begin to see those consequences. Japan, one of the largest economies in the world, is just committed to doubling its defense spending in the next five years. That's hugely good news. Um, the Philippines, which under Duterte had been heading toward a pro-China tilt, are now heading in a, under, under Marcos Jr., are going back to their more traditional pro-American tilt. They're even considering giving America basing in the northernmost Filipino islands, which means we could resupply Taiwan. All of the Australians are agreeing to, to really do a huge ramp up of their naval strategy uh, to make them much more able to go far afield. And all this helps deter China from making a grab at Taiwan. So, frankly, that's the secret good news behind the usual bad news. 
Yeah, well, it is. It's nice to hear a little bit of good news out there because there is plenty of bad, John. And not to harp on the bad too much, but I know we here in the U.S. continue to watch what is no, no pun intended, but a, a powder keg in the Middle East right now, a humanitarian crisis in the Gaza Strip, and things like that. And there's there's a lot of concern, I think, about a wider conflict in the Middle East right now. No, and there should be. I mean, we talked about this, Jesse, the canary in the coal mine. The thing to really look for isn't Hamas and what happens in Rafah. It's it's Hezbollah. It's to the north of Israel in southern Lebanon. Hezbollah is the Rolls Royce of terrorist organizations. It's far more capable um, than is Hamas, and it's far closer to Iran, whereas Hamas has hundreds, if not thousands, of missiles of all kinds uh, Hezbollah has tens of thousands and a really capable army in an organic position within Lebanese society. And if there were to be a war starting in the north um, of Israel, I Iran might well get pulled in. And then we've got a World War I situation. If Israel feels the need to strike into northern, its north into southern Lebanon, Iran might feel the need to defend Hezbollah. The United States might feel the need to help them. These are how the dominoes fall that get us to the sleepwalkers, Christopher Clark's book on how we ended up with the calamity of World War I. The canary in the coal mine is Hezbollah. As long as they in Israel avoid outright confrontation in a big way, things are okay. The minute that changes, political risk goes to DEFCON 5. Yeah, and I, another aspect of this as well that is, uh, has been highlighted quite a bit when it comes to you know world shipping challenges, for instance, is the Houthis uh, with their attacks in the Suez Canal. And I know that's another issue as well that's kind of tied in with all of this, John. No, it's a gigantic issue, the Houthis, because what they can do, and again, we forget the geo and geopolitics too often. Geography is everything. Um, and The Last Best Hope talks an awful lot about geography. Anybody who's played risk understands this. This is basic and fundamental to how the world works. And the Houthis can shut off the Suez Canal, meaning that all the ships to get to Europe have to go around Africa. And we're back to the things we studied growing up in basic Western Civ class. And this, of course, adds immensely to inflation, to prices, and to the state of the global economy, particularly in Europe. The Houthis, a ragtag band of pirates, not fun pirates like Johnny Depp, but bloodthirsty, opportunistic, rather horrible pirates. They are threatening to shut down this lifeline. And this is a case where the U.S. Navy and where I'm usually, as you know, as a realist, very restrained. But as a, as a believer in the world economy, if they get in our way, the Navy should blow them out of the water. We are talking with John Halsman. He is the author of The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism and a Geopolitical Strategist. And John, you know, you look into the Black Sea region as well. Uh, we have, again, the continued war between Russia and Ukraine. I know we've seen some developments out of Russia with uh, President Putin here. You know, just in the last few weeks, some of his political opponents have died somewhat mysteriously, one would say. So, I mean, the continued issues in that part of the world are also another uh, piece of this puzzle, right? They are, and things are looking bad. I mean, we've said this, Jesse, but stalemate means Russia wins. Anytime the mainstream media, which is not thinking but is cheerleading for Ukraine, we call it wish-casting, uh, it's the problem in political risk where you wish an outcome rather than looking at outcomes as they went. I knew, for instance, the Iraq war would go ahead, that I would lose my job and that calamity would ensue. And so I had a moral decision to make, but I never for a minute thought it wouldn't happen. Um, and like that, President Putin is winning in a stalemate. Why? Russia has four to five times the number of people. Ukraine does. It has an indigenous arms industry, and it can just, in a World War I fashion, as we talked about Bakhmut and Avika now, it can just grind down the Ukrainians. The Russians are firing five shells now, artillery shells for every one fired by Ukraine. In the long run, Ukraine has to cut the best deal it can as fast as it can because the magical thinking that somehow it's going to win is imperiling its chance to maintain its autonomy. And yes, President Putin feels so secure that he almost certainly bumped off uh, Alexei Navalny, his very courageous uh, rival in Russia who was languishing in a Russian gulag. Putin feels secure enough now that he bumped him off and knows he can get away with it. That's a very bad sign for what's going on. 
Well, let's tie this all back together with uh, what you mentioned at the open, you know, looking at some of that good news with allies in the Indo-Pacific and more. Uh, of course, we have presidential election season in full swing here in the U.S. on top of, you know, numerous elections around the world. And so I, I wonder if that how much that political landscape may or may not change here around the globe over the next several months uh, your thoughts on that here as we kind of wrap up our conversation today what are some things you're you're watching john moving forward there that that we need to keep an eye on as well no that's a key point jesse we forget that we're part of the the equation that, that we have to look at ourselves and analyze ourselves the way the rest of the world does and an administration run by donald trump would be a strongly realist administration it would be based on american national interests and a very uh, strict reading of what those national interests are. The administration of Joe Biden, his likely challenger, would be the standard Wilsonian kind of establishment organization. And these will have very different views about, say, as we've seen, alliance burden sharing, where Trump would demand that the allies pay more. Biden would be more relaxed about that. They'd probably agree on China and be largely hawkish about economically keeping the pressure on them and building up allies. Um, in the Middle East, um, I think you could see some minor differences, but there would be similarities there. But the overall governing philosophy, which really does matter for foreign policy, would be fundamentally different between a realist Trump administration and an idealist or Wilsonian Biden administration. So our election will do an awful lot to determine what's going to happen moving ahead. We're part of this equation in a fundamental way. And it's uh, an equation that I know is going to play out here over the next several months. And it's uh, it's just uh, sometimes, John, I feel like with every all the noise that is out there, we we can get caught up in the uh, in the circus of things, so to speak. And it's something that maybe, you know, we need to take a step back and, and really think about internally, maybe. Right. No, we do, because um, it's easy to get caught up in the 24 seven news cycle and not see what's vital here as we're trying to talk about, about gathering allies in the Indo-Pacific or Hezbollah being the canary in the coal mine in the Middle East, or the fact that Ukraine's losing despite the cheerleading going on. You have to drill down to the essence of what's going on. And that's true with our politics too. At the moment, if you look at the swing state numbers in real clear politics, which are just numbers, Donald Trump is certainly ahead. The major concern of people is the economy, uh, the cost of living crisis and the age of the president. These are simply facts. It doesn't mean it's going to end up that way, but it means it's where we are now. And I have to, we have to analyze ourselves and look in the mirror, which, let's face it, Jesse, is always the hardest thing to do. Yeah, very, very, very true. Well, I know, again, uh, as always, we'll stay in touch with you, John, and we'll have you back on the program as we work throughout the, uh, the year ahead, of course, and continue to keep an eye on what is happening around the world. And again, folks can find his book, The Last Best Hope, A History of American Realism. Find that on Amazon. And with that, John Hallsman, author, geopolitical strategist. John, always great to have a conversation with you, sir. Enjoy your perspective uh, here on Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us, John. We'll talk to you again soon. Can't wait, Jesse. See you very soon. John Hall's been there joining us for some geopolitical perspective here on AOA. It's always good to think about some of those things and have a conversation about that here on the show from time to time. So we really appreciate John joining us here today. All right, coming up next, we are going to wrap up the show. We're going to learn more about a new report titled No Small Potatoes, the Economic Contribution of the Michigan Potato Sector. We're going to be joined by Kelly Turner, Executive Director for the Michigan Potato Industry Commission, and Phil Guzmano, Commissioner with the Michigan Potato Industry Commission and Vice President of Purchasing for Detroit-based Better Made Snack Foods. They will join us next here on AOA, Agriculture of America. Times of transition whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, 
volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Well, right now, let's talk potatoes. A new report out from the Michigan Potato Industry Commission. No small potatoes, the economic contribution of the Michigan potato sector. 
joining us now to tell us more about the new report and have a conversation. First, she's the executive director for the Michigan Potato Industry Commission. Dr. Kelly Turter is with us. Kelly, thanks for joining us on the show today. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jesse. We're excited to talk potatoes. And also joining us uh, with Dr. Turner, Phil Gasmano, Commissioner with the Michigan Potato Industry Commission, and he's also Vice President of Purchasing for Detroit-based Better Made Snack Foods. Phil, thanks as well for joining us today. Appreciate it. Jesse, my pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's start uh, just with a, a bit of an overview of the report here, Kelly, if you wouldn't mind giving us uh, kind of the details behind this. I know the potato industry in Michigan just has a, a massive impact on the state economy, and that's a lot of what was found in this report, I believe. Talk to us about it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So first, I think it would help be helpful if I describe the Michigan Potato Industry Commission. Uh, it was formed back in 1970 by the Michigan legislative body as the state's potato research, promotion, and education organization. So part of our mission is to ensure that the importance of our potato industry is understood and appreciated by residents and policymakers. So uh, that, that's why we're so pleased to announce the findings of this analysis, which, as you said, really demonstrates the value of our industry um, to the economic well-being of our entire state. So this report was conducted by economists at Michigan State University, uh, and it represents the first time that the commission has uh, really commissioned a comprehensive study on the economic contributions of the potato uh, growers and the value chain partners. Uh, so I'll offer some high level observations. Um, so first, potatoes are a major source of revenue, not only for potato growers, but for businesses and communities across the state. Uh, second, the report highlights the positive impact on creating both jobs for rural and urban workers, which you'll, I'm sure you'll hear about more from Phil. Um, According to the report, the potato industry, um, we contribute, the, the contribution uh, that we uh, give to the state really stems from uh, both direct and indirect economic activity. So this includes nearly one and a half billion dollars in direct economic activity uh, as a direct res result from growing, processing, wholesaling, and retailing potatoes and potato products. It also factors in an additional $1 billion in indirect activity from food, the, the food service industry and through the household consumption of Michigan grown potatoes. So the second takeaway that's really important is that this report uh, highlights that Michigan potato, potatoes grown in Michigan are the second largest commodity only behind apples. So mm. in 2022, Michigan growers produced nearly 1.9 billion pounds of potatoes across all categories. So we grow seed potatoes, fresh, frozen, dehigh, processing, and the sales of these potatoes generated more than $246 million last year alone. So those numbers put Michigan as the eighth largest state in the nation in terms of actual potato production and sixth in terms of sales. Wow. Wow. Uh, amazing stats to think about there, uh, Kelly, for sure. Phil, maybe we'll bring you in here. Give us some of your perspective, kind of how the how the potato industry in Michigan, kind of the rural urban type of partnership. And obviously with your role with Better Made Snack Foods, the job creation with the potato industry, things like that. Talk about that aspect here as well. Sure, Jesse. Uh, so if you think about it, all these potatoes are grown in Michigan and they're all grown in, in rural areas. And one of the things that we like to tout is how important that, that food processing is both in an urban environment and to the rural areas. They're, all these potatoes are grown rural, but most of them are processed in areas that are urban. And so one of our mantras is to let people know how important those that, that agriculture is in that urban environment. Without that agriculture, all the jobs that we have at Better Made wouldn't be here. And in particular, you know, we, we use almost 400,000 pounds of potatoes a day when we're processing. And we send our, our potato chips all over the world. And so people are getting to see those Michigan potatoes 
all around our country and all around the world. An interesting fact about uh, those potatoes is that one out of every four bags of potato chips that are sold in, in our country, those potatoes originated from the state of Michigan. And so you can really see how important Michigan is to the snacking industry and to the potato industry in and of itself. Without mm -hmm. Michigan potatoes, there'd be a lot of people just missing out on their good, good snack foods. Well, Phil, Kelly, uh, great thoughts here. And I know folks can go online to uh, get a look at the full report, mipotato.com slash no small potatoes. That's mipotato.com slash no small potatoes. And I know both of you, along with the delegation of Michigan potato growers, going to be in D.C. next week for National Potato Council's Washington Summit. Uh, could either of you uh, maybe give us a quick highlight of some of the things you're going to be talking about in D.C. next week? Absolutely. Uh, we are excited to take 12 growers to Washington, D.C. Some of them have been there before. Others are kind of brand new to the, to the whole process. But uh, as I said earlier, part of our mission is to ensure that folks in the uh, legislative body, body and policymaking sectors really understand uh, understand our industry. So one of the things we're going to be working on is uh, focusing on keeping potatoes in the federal food programs. So we, we are really asking congressional members that they consider and, and potatoes as part of the federal school meals program um, and ensure that potatoes are allowed for breakfast and included as potatoes really are one of those gateway vegetables and uh, kids who have access to potatoes are more likely to eat other vegetables as well. Fantastic. Well, we're out of time. We'll have to pick up a conversation again in the future. Kelly, Phil, thank you both for joining us here on AOA today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you very All much. Right. We appreciate it. You're welcome. We're out of time here on AOA today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. When news happens in agriculture or when the markets are moving, we've got you covered as your trusted voice in agriculture. The team at the American Ag Network has the knowledge and experience to keep you informed on the issues impacting farmers and ranchers. We've got you covered on air, online, and on demand. Find the American Ag Network on your favorite social media platforms and also follow the American Ag Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We are the American Ag Network. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Get the latest bonus interviews, exclusive content, and more with the American Ag Today podcast. Just search for American Ag Today and give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts.